0: Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the marketing madmen have answers. Search the marketing madmen on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the marketing madmen every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why.
1: Alright everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. I would be Matt or Lana. I didn't give myself the nickname, I earned the nickname Let's not waste any time, let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. Sid, I, um, like a lot of Braves fans, had the image of Sid Bream coming here in the winter of 1990 And like, you know, I saw you in Pittsburgh, but most was Atlanta So I'm trying to get the image of like 15 or 14 year old Sid Bream How fast were you? Was baseball your best sport? What kind of athlete were you growing up?
2: Actually, Matt, I mean, I had more offers out of high school in college for basketball than I did baseball. Um, I was a six foot four uh, you know point guard slash center that could jump and, and dribble, and uh, people people liked that. I wasn't the greatest shooter in the world, but I could handle the ball real well. And um, so I had more offers out of high school for, for basketball than I did baseball. But, uh, you know, I was never, you know, I was never a speedster. Uh, but, you know, in in terms of uh, speed before my knee injuries and everything, Matt, I mean, I ran a, a 6, 8, 60, huh. uh in baseball, which, you know, isn't, it's not terrible. It's not great. But, uh, you know, it's not a six. Six two six or to, up to six five, but I still ran pretty well before my injuries.
1: What was the deciding factor? Why did you choose baseball to play in college over basketball?
2: Just loved it. I mean, I loved the game of baseball. I mean, it was uh, um, I I enjoyed the competition. I enjoyed going up against pitchers. I mean. It was um, something that I felt as though it was a little bit more natural for me, and, and like I said, I wasn't the greatest shooter in the world, and uh, you know, so that was that was uh, something probably that went into the decision as well. What was the
1: interest as far as baseball from schools around the country, and was there talk at all about considering going pro out of high school?
2: Uh, I'll, I'll answer the last question first. I mean, yes. I mean, I had. I was told and, and, and I'll just say this, Matt, up until my twelfth grade year of high school, I didn't even have a clue. I wasn't even thinking anything after high school until a um a scout came up to me and said, Man, you might be drafted this year and uh in all reality I didn't I wasn't even thinking of it. I just loved playing the game of baseball and um and so I had aspirations of going pro. I really didn't really even consider college uh because of um yeah i just I just wanted to play baseball and uh so I was looking to go pro, but uh Temple University gave me a full scholarship and Liberty Baptist College or Liberty University gave me a full scholarship, and uh those are the only two that came on board as far as colleges and I went to liberty baptist because uh, their full scholarship meant room and board tuition and books and the other one meant uh, just tuition and books and, and my family wasn't well to do so i went to, to liberty baptist college and it was a great choice for me
1: well from a baseball standpoint it made perfect sense as you end up becoming a second round pick of the dodgers so and i've asked a, a bunch of guys this question um did you know a ton about the draft process did you have an idea where you might go?
2: Uh, you know, I knew that the Dodgers were, you know, pretty hot on me. I mean, Jim Garland, who was the one that signed me, I mean, he was, um, you know, at a lot of my games and, uh, you know, doing a lot of scouting on my behalf for my for myself. And and uh, so I knew the Dodgers were pretty hot. But coming out of high school, I mean, I, I did have an opportunity to sign with the, the Yankees, the Expos, and the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, and uh, as, as a free agent, uh, not not so much in the ju- June draft, but in the free agent market after the June draft took place. And and again, as a young man, I'm glad that uh, I didn't accept those because who knows where I'd be today if I have, I would have gone that route. It's a new year, which
1: means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find? A craft beer bar, self-serve taps, uh, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salads, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. Thedailydraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like trivia night, kids eat free night, and more. Thedailydraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love the Daily Draft. Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it. But that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rose Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at roads-group.com. So, what was your first stop as a professional playing in the minors for the Dodgers? And even before that, do you remember what the signing bonus and contract looked like?
2: I got, uh, I think I got thirty-seven thousand five hundred for second round, and um, and you know that was that was what I signed for. And I went to Vero Beach, Florida. That was where I started my. My uh, pro, pro career, and uh, from there, I played that half a season in Vero Beach. Went back the next year in 1982 and started the, the season in Vero Beach. Halfway through the season, went up to San Antonio, Texas, and then at the end of the year, I jumped up to Triple uh, A with the uh, Albuquerque Dukes, and I was with Albuquerque until I I uh, got traded over to Pittsburgh. Albuquerque and L.A. Dodgers back and forth with them.
1: Did you enjoy the minor league experience?
2: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I I enjoyed, again, playing the game of baseball. Uh, I had a lot of success in the minor leagues. I mean, hitting over 300 every year in the minor leagues wherever I went. And and, I had some great years in, in Albuquerque, so I enjoyed I enjoyed that part of it. I mean, the travel in some ways is a little bit you know more difficult, but uh, and and also back then, I only made I made six hundred dollars a month to start with for six months. so you weren't really making a whole lot and they're not making a whole lot today. but uh, uh, I think I think the next year it went up to seven hundred dollars and then it was seven fifty. So you weren't making a whole lot of money. I mean, to to make it uh, something that you could do on a full time basis.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of drive-throughs. Um, so you said you get traded to Pittsburgh. How do you deal with? Because I've talked to different guys about this, and one side is somebody else wants me, and that's you know that's what I like. At the same time, you know, you get drafted by somebody. Your dream is to play for that organization. How did you deal with the trade?
2: Well. I will say this, I mean, I, I knew that I wasn't going to play for the Los Angeles Dodgers because Tommy Lasorda, the manager for the Dodgers, like Greg Brock, he loved Greg Brock and he was there at the time and Al Campanage, a general manager, loved Franklin Stubbs It was coming right behind me and uh, I knew that I wasn't going to have a chance to play in L.A. You know, on a full-time basis so... You know, the the move was actually something that uh, was appreciated by me because it gave me a chance to reach my goal of getting to the Major Leagues.
1: Now, were you a Pirates fan growing up?
2: No. I mean, I was actually – I mean, I, I live in the center of the state, and, and back when I grew up, I mean, Pittsburgh, you really didn't even get a whole lot of Pittsburgh uh, media or information. I mean, it was more Philadelphia Phillies, but – my, uncles, my uncle loved, and his sons loved the Philadelphia Phillies. My dad grew up liking the, the St. Louis Cardinals, and, and so I just kind of followed in my dad's footsteps.
1: So when you get to the Pirates, Sid, I mean, that's a team that's just on the doorstep of now you know, breaking through and like good young players everywhere with you and you know Barry coming up and Van Slyke would join and Bonilla. and Jim Leland is the manager. Tell me about the atmosphere around that club when you got there.
2: Well, I mean, again, when I first started, Matt, I mean, it wasn't that way. I mean, you know, when I got there in 1985, going in 1986, 1986, I think we lost 102, ball games that year. I mean, the uh, completing of the filling the holes and everything had not taken place at that point in time. But as you said, you know, little by little, Sid Thrift came in and started to make some moves with Barry Bonds and Bonilla and, uh van Smyk and the Jay Bell and Doug Drebeck and I mean I could go down through the list and little by little we kept filling the holes in and uh, became more and more competitive and uh, you know every year it got a little bit better to the place that we we thought we had a real good chance to uh, compete well we competed in 1988 until uh, you know Jim got, our, our closer, I mean, I, a funny story where Jim Gott was out on the mound. We, we were facing Howard Johnson. We were winning one to nothing. We were one game behind the Mets and um, in the standings. And, and we had a team meeting on the mound with Jim Leland. I mean, I shouldn't say a team meeting, but a, an infield meeting with Jim Leland on the mound and we sat there three or four times and told Jim Gott, do not throw Howard Johnson a fastball. <laughs> and, and for three or four times, Jim Gott out, sat out on the mound and said, no fastball, no fastball. Michael Lavalier got in, into the, um, you know, back behind the, the, the hitter, put down slider. He shook him off. Put down slider. He shook him <laughs> off. Put down slider. Shook him off. And he, he put down the one. He said, Yes. Through the fastball, Howard Johnson hit a home run <laughs> and they won the ball game. And then, literally, from that point on, we just tanked in 1988. Mm-hmm. 1989, we thought we had a chance to compete, uh, but then myself and Mike Lavalier got hurt real quick. And I mean, and it just kind of took the steam out of us. And I'm not saying that it was because of me or Mike Lavalier, but it just kind of took the steam out of us. And uh, and then 1990 came on board, and and uh, we went through that season and won for the first time and in, in quite a few years.
1: What was uh, Jim Leela like on a daily basis?
2: Uh, probably, you know, a manager that I could depend upon. What he said, I mean, as being the truth. I mean, it might not have, it might not have been what you wanted to hear uh, if you asked him something, but at the same time, you knew that uh he was going to give you the truth and and he wasn't going to blow up your skirt and uh just he was he was a great manager he was he was he was always in my my opinion he was always a couple steps ahead of every manager and uh he also was a good psychiatrist he knew when you needed a kick in the butt and he knew when you needed a joke to relax and uh you know he he was uh he was a special person and and uh I enjoyed playing underneath Jim leland how did he
1: handle all the different personalities? Because through the years, the stories about him and Barry butting heads, or you know Bobby, like what was the daily dynamic there?
2: Well, that you know that's the neat thing about uh, you know Jim Leland. It didn't matter if you were the franchise player. I mean, if you weren't giving it your best, if you were dogging it, he was going to get in your face. I mean, and that's that's something I really appreciated about him as well. He could have cared less about who you were. Uh, he was going to tell you the truth, and I mean, if you weren't giving it everything, he was going to let you know it. And, and um, you know, he, he would he would stand toe to toe with anybody. He'd probably get his butt whooped, but he had he had done it if he needed to. I mean, just to to say, hey, I'm the leader here, not you.
1: Did you like Barry?
2: Barry was a great player. Player, I mean, just an absolutely god gifted player. And, uh, you know, he worked his tail off with Bill Burden. And, uh, he was just one of those that, uh, sometimes, I mean, could get on your nerves, but, but other than that, man, Barry was just a, he was, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal baseball player.
1: So let's go to the, uh, the winner there after 1990, you become a free agent. And as you just said, you guys are, I mean, on the verge of something you're building, you know, that's a team that would get back to the postseason. We know a couple of more times, how difficult was it for you to leave Pittsburgh and why Atlanta?
2: Well, man, let me just sh- share a story with you. In 1990, after we lost to the Cincinnati Reds in the in the playoffs, in the National League playoffs, very next day, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates management came out in the papers and said Sid Bream's our first priority to sign for the 1991 season. So my wife and I were ecstatic, thinking, "Here comes a long-term contract. You know, we're going to be in Pittsburgh for several years, and so on and so forth." and and uh, through negotiations, they didn't even get close to, to market price on me. And so it, it finally came to the uh, the winter meetings or the, the free agency market. And, and and at that point in time, Atlanta came out with a great uh, offer for me and said, you need to make a decision for me before the night's over because if you don't come here, we're going to go someplace else. And so my wife and I decided we were going to do it. But I can tell you that my wife and I, we cried all night long. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, got up the next morning, called Jim Leland, asked him, he said, Skip, I said, you know, am I bound to this contract? And he said, Sid, you haven't you haven't signed anything. You're not bound to it. So I called my attorney, and for an hour and a half, he tried to talk me out of going to uh, doing what I wanted to do and stay in Pittsburgh. But at the end of the hour and a half, I said, well, we need to do this. And so... To make a long story short, uh, he called the, the gentleman in, at the free agent market and uh, you know, went to the Pittsburgh Pirates, asked for what their best offer was because Sid had a deal. But in the meantime, he called me back and said, Sid, he said, what happens if they, you sign with Pittsburgh, which was going to amount to a lot of money less, what happens if you sign with Pittsburgh and then they trade you down to Atlanta? You're going to look like an idiot. <laughs> and I said, great point. <laughs> so I said, let's go to Pittsburgh and ask for a no trade clause. And we went to them and asked for a no trade clause. And they said no to a no trade clause. And I said, well, if I'm a, I'm your first priority, I'd hate to see what your last one is. <laughs> and, uh, and then we, you know, so we agreed to go to Atlanta and, and, uh, and obviously we understand what took place in the next couple of years.
1: Well, okay, so the money makes sense. That's, you know, that's just business. Uh, what was the meeting like? Was it just your agent, or did you meet Sherholtz or, or Bobby? I mean, like, what was the introduction before you made the uh, the final decision with the Braves? What did you know about uh, Atlanta?
2: Well, I mean, I knew that they were the last place team the, the year before. and uh, But at the same time, I mean, I knew that they were making a lot of changes. And, um, you know, I didn't. I, everything was through my agent at the time. I mean, you know they, get, they presented the offer and uh, everything was through my agent and, and basically we just we didn't haggle at all. We just said, okay,'ll we'll, we'll take that and, and uh, you know I prepared to go to Atlanta for that for the next year.
1: So, culture becomes a big thing that we heard about as you guys in '91, you and Terry and some of the other free agents that were brought in to kind of, you know, cultivate what was a young, really good farm system, and some guys who'd been in the Bigs now for three or four years. What did you notice? Like, take me to the first day of spring training. Can you see a club that is unsure and young and and needs that veteran leadership that you were brought in to provide?
2: Man, I think that that's what Terry and I both saw right off the get go. I mean, we saw a group of great, I mean, a lot of great talent, uh, but a lot of uh, talent that uh, had no focus, and um, you know, didn't didn't understand what it meant to be a winner. And uh, they were there, you know, because they were so excited about just being the big leagues, but they didn't really go out onto the field with the whole thought of uh, this is my game. We're going to win this ball game, and and so that's what Terry and I really concentrated on, just trying to get them to focus that between the lines, I mean, when you go out for that very first pitch, you're thinking one thing, and that's winning, not about getting your paycheck after two weeks, not about, you know, being being, uh, the fan favorite or anything like that, but going out and and thinking about winning the ball game. And and in 1991, I mean, watching that team, you know, the transformation that take place was was, uh, probably – the greatest season that i had as far as my baseball career just watching the team trans, transform itself into the winner that they were
1: were you a verbal leader or were you a follow by example guy uh
2: i think it i think in that, that time frame i mean there was we had team meetings and that's one thing that i really give bobby cox a lot of credit for i mean he he would allow us as as leaders on the team to to have team meetings uh, he didn't have to be involved with it or any of the coaching staff. And so we would get in and, and we would just start hashing things out. And, uh, you know, Terry was, for the most part, the, you know, the the, the main focus. But obviously, I mean, I was there to, to be a part of it as well. And so that first year or so, I mean, I, I uh, spoke quite a bit. But, uh, you know, after that, I mean, like I said, I mean, after it became evident that Terry was the, the true captain on the team of what was going on. I mean, then I took a more of a backseat approach with Terry, and uh, just supported him and what he was doing. Are you concerned about running out of money? Are you worried that your only source of income will
1: be Social Security? And that may go bankrupt in the next 10 to 20 years. Maybe it's time to make a plan to get your hard-earned money working better for you today. Go to OxygenFinancial.com right now to set up a free consultation to build a plan for a successful retirement. We'll show you three tips we use to help people make work optional, save money in taxes, and maximize their investments. Go to OxygenFinancial.com right now to set up your free consultation today. You talk about Terry, and I want to ask you about him and get back to Bobby in a second. But, I mean, Terry's talked about it through the years, too, and he's he's kind of said the same about you, how important you guys both were on and off the field for that team. What was your reaction? I don't know if I've ever asked you about Terry's decision um, to walk off the field when he didn't feel like um, the the favor was repaid for plunking one of your guys.
2: I I thought that was one of the greatest leadership moves that he could have ever done. And, uh, you know, and, as, you know, as I go out and do leadership talks and so on and so forth, that one, that's in there because, I mean, sometimes a leader has to do some tough things. And uh, I thought that what Terry did that day, even though it wasn't popular with Bobby or probably management or anything like that, I thought that it sent a huge signal to the uh, our team that, hey, you better support us because we're out there supporting you. And, and I think it went a long way as far as uh, showing showing the team what it meant to be to come together.
1: You mentioned Bobby there. Tell me about Bobby Cox playing for him on a daily basis. How different was it from Jim Leland?
2: Bobby was just – he was a manager that, uh, you know, he left you play. Uh, wasn't so much involved with, um, your, you know, your own life, your own personal life and so on and so forth. I mean, as long as you were – Dressing the part, doing what you needed to do, giving it a hundred percent every game. You know, Bobby was, uh, you know, he he left you alone. But man, if you didn't dress the part and and you didn't give it a hundred percent, I mean, he was gonna he was gonna chew your butt out. And uh, but uh, great, great manager for allowing his team to play. Um, you know, I've often said, I mean, with the with the pitching staffs that he had, he didn't really need to do a whole lot. And um, and then he had some great great ball players, you know, that we know about. I mean David Justice, Terry Pendleton, Jeff Plauser, Duane Gant, Otis Nixon, you know, Mark Limper. We had a great great ball team. And, so you uh, mentioned transformation
1: different. that summer. Were there like distinctive differences, like the Pittsburgh summer of the year before, as you guys in 1990 go on to win the the East Championship? Compare that to the city of Atlanta, just the whole um, buzz surrounding the Braves. How different was Pittsburgh to Atlanta back to back years?
2: Well, I mean, I think the first year, Matt. I mean, I think what you need to be thinking about is the Atlanta, the city of Atlanta, were just crying out for a winner. I mean, whether in football, whether in basketball, whether in, in baseball, whatever it was, they were just crying, please give us a winner somewhere. And it just happened to be that we were the ones that did it. But, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a uh, an immediate thing. I mean, it was a progression over the course of the year, just like the way that our guys, you know, handled things and started to learn how to win. You know, it was a progression over the course of the year. The same thing took place with the fans. And, I mean, and... You know, by the middle of the year, once we put that run on it after the All-Star break and uh, got closer and watched the people come out of the woodwork. I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing time. And, uh, you know, again, the, the, the city of Atlanta was just unbelievable as far as their support for us during that time frame.
1: It's funny, Sid. I, um, I, I people still hold that team in such a special place in their hearts, and you know, I think back to me. I was a perfect age. I was fourteen years old, as you said. In Atlanta, we just we we didn't do much winning outside of the Hawks for a few years in the late '80s. It's almost like a we didn't know how to react as fans because a pennant race wasn't something we were used to. It was like watching a football crowd at Fulton County Stadium from about you know July through September. Um, what was it like for you around the city? Forget about just, like, in the stadium. What would, Did you start to see stuff around the city that made you realize what was building?
2: Well, I mean, I, I think the thing that took place for us is, uh, you know, just the acknowledgement of who we were, wherever we went. I mean, I, you couldn't go anywhere. I mean, and you know, I, I feel bad for the franchise players that can't go anywhere, you know, be seen in public because they're just gonna be mob. But that was the way it was for everybody on the Atlanta Braves during that time frame because I mean wherever you went, I mean I went in I went into uh sports authority to buy a fishing ward to go fishing and I was in there for an hour and a half signing an autograph. <laughs> I mean, you know, every everywhere that you went to to eat, you know, as soon as that first person would come over, you know, be bold enough to come over and get you you know an autograph i mean it was like the whole the whole restaurant came over to you and you know the nice thing for us is i mean the restaurant owners generally gave us a you know our, our meals free but uh, you couldn't go anywhere i mean it was it was it was pandemonium it was chaos but it was a fun chaos i mean it was just unbelievable the excitement that was going on in that city at that time
1: so when you guys win the west and then you realize, and I want to talk to you about you and then the team, but personally you're about to face the Pirates. What was going through your mind leading into a series against the team that you just left the year before?
2: You know, I, I, again, I mean, it's a great question, Matt, because, I mean, I, you know, I, I had nothing against my teammates. I mean, man, I, went, I was in the, I was in the uh, foxhole, you know, starting in 1986 really with them. And, you know, I I battled with them to get up to where we were. And, I mean, I wanted to be with that team. And, uh, you know, that was, that was my focus. And, you know, after we beat them in 1991, I mean, it, it hurt me a little bit, thinking, man, they're not going to have a chance to get to the, the show. And, um, you know, so it, it did hurt me a little bit. But, I mean, understanding I'm going to give it everything I have to uh, because that's the way God designed me. Uh, but uh, I was going to give it everything I had in order to, uh, you know, beat them. But it, it still was very, very difficult for me to watch them uh, go down in defeat at the end of that, that season in 1991.
1: Talk to me about your teammates, Sid, because, I mean, you're a veteran at that point. And in that stage for a veteran can be daunting. Were you blown away at watching guys like Avery and Smoltz um, and Justice and those guys who, I mean, that stage did not overwhelm them?
2: No, they they uh, and again I think there was so much preparation with Terry. You know, we had both come from winning winning teams, and I think that's why John Sherholtz obviously got us there. Because I mean, we had gone, come from winning teams. We could we can impart some of our wisdom and knowledge of how to go through all that. But uh, yes, I mean you are so correct. I mean to to have your your Avery, your Smokes, your Glavin. You know, to have your uh, Ronnie Gant, your David Justice, your Otis Nixon, you know those guys out there on that field, and and to watch them perform the way that they perform, I mean, it was uh, it was it you know, again, it was just something you knew, you knew that there was something magical about that team.
1: Well, Magical got him to the World Series, and you guys are playing the Twins. I've had uh, Terry on, and I've, and I've asked him about that series. He is still convinced to this day and nothing can change his mind that it's not mythical that in the Metrodome, I mean, that air conditioning system works one way when, when the home team's up and the other way when, when the visitors are up. Did you see it the same way?
2: I, I, I agree with uh, everything that you just said. I mean, I, I really and truly believe that there was uh, they had a system and, um, you know, I guess nobody has ever, you know, um, brought – I mean, got the facts in order to, to prove that. But, I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that uh, balls that were hit for us, I mean, just went nowhere. Balls that were hit for them just flew out of the park. Uh, but even at that, even at that, we had our chances to win that last game – Uh, You know, we think of Ronnie again hitting the double and and Lonnie Smith getting uh, deked at second base, but at the same time, you know, Terry had a guy on third base with less than two outs and popped up. I mean, I had bases loaded with one out and hit into a ground uh, double play with Herbeck going home to first. So uh, we had our chances to, to go up in that game and win that ball game. And, I mean, it was a tremendous, tremendous series. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I wish I we had have gotten the first place trophy, but unfortunately, um, you know, Jack came out on top, and Minnesota came out on top.
1: So, it, it, whether post game or months after, heck, I don't know, years later, how do you get over a game like that?
2: Uh, you know, you, you you think about it. You you try to try to figure out what you could have done differently, but hey, I mean, they, they, it was just two great teams going at each other. I mean, two great pitching staffs, and uh, you know, what, what do you say? I mean, you know, other teams. There were twenty, you know, at that time. I think there were thirty teams in the league, so there were twenty-eight teams at home watching us. So we still, we still were at the pinnacle. We just didn't, we just didn't get the, uh, get it done when we needed to. But um, you know, that year and the next year in 1992. I mean, and I, so um, it, it's difficult. Obviously, you wanted one of those at least one of those at least to be a a first place victory, but uh, it didn't happen, and you just keep moving on.
1: How um, maybe the word is amazed or shocked were you to see a million people show up at a postseason parade Mm -hmm. that wasn't for world champion in '91?
2: That uh, that to me was uh, an unbelievable event Uh, that brought so much uh, emotion. Um, You know, to my wife and I, I mean, and and it was so neat going down 10, you know, 10 people thick the whole way down through that thing. But I remember going down, sitting on that with my wife and looking up about 10 or so floors. For some reason, my wife and I looked up at the same time and looked up and there was a, a friend of ours that went to Liberty University with us. And he's up in this window, you know, screaming at us, and, and we looked up and see him, and we thought, "You got to be kidding me!" I mean, so, but I mean, that was that was just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal time for us, and and uh, the support that the city gave us was unbelievable.
1: So in '92, you guys now come in with expectations, and you threw a, a long, tough season. You get back to the postseason against Pittsburgh again. I mean, are you shaking your head, going again. It's going to be these guys. Like, was that at all in your mindset having to face them again, or are you now two years removed, so maybe it's lessened.
2: It, it, it is lessened at this point, Matt. I mean, you know, I'm. I mean, obviously, throughout the course of the season, we're we're watching the scoreboards, we're watching the the, uh, the races, and we understand it. It could be coming down to us in Pittsburgh. I mean, if things go the way that they're supposed to, and I mean, and again, not that I didn't have great friendships on that team, but uh, but at the same time, I mean, my my devotion at that point in time was strictly with the Atlanta Braves. And
1: it's worth mentioning in '92. I mean, you had a really good NLCS home run, couple of RBIs, couple of double, oh, three doubles. I mean, so the production was there. Um, so everybody focuses on Game Seven. But you guys had a three to one series lead. Yeah. In that NLCS, so when they tied at three three, I mean, is human nature to have doubt, or do you think we're at home, we've got pitching, even against Dreback, we'll figure it out?
2: I think that the, I think that it, it brings you to the place of saying you never take anything for granted. I mean, you think, man, three to one, we got this thing, not a problem. But it also uh, that that series got you to the place of understanding that you never take anything for granted. You got it. You got to win it. And uh, you know the nice thing for us is we had we had beat uh, Drayback in a ga- guest game I think game four, and uh, you know we we lit him up pretty good, and uh, so we had that going for us. Um, you know we had a pretty good pitcher going as well, and uh, so it was just one of those things that uh, it was a matter of going out there and playing the game, and and uh, but. That night, Doug Drayback was on. I mean, I've watched, you know, Major League Baseball now has had some of the games on, and I've watched that game from start to finish, and Drabeck had every pitch that he wanted to throw. He was throwing it where he wanted to throw it. and uh, He
1: was outstanding, but Sid, I think the one thing that kind of gets forgotten along the way in that game was you guys, I want to say, in the sixth inning loaded the bases with nobody out. Mm-hmm. And Wright had an opportunity to do something there and didn't. I mean, I, I would think anybody, even the most optimistic, positive person says, oh, boy, that was our shot because you said drebeck was just – he wasn't going to give you many shots.
2: Yeah, I mean, I and I don't remember who hit the line drive. I think it was Ronnie Gant that hit the line drive to Jeff King to double off Mark Lemke at third base. And, and uh, obviously, I mean, you sit there and think, oh, you know. But, you know, the the way that our team – Work that year. I mean, we, we really were one of those teams. Where it was not, we were, we were not giving up. We believed that we were going to win until the proverbial, the fat lady sang. and, um, you know, we had come back so many times that year and uh, we certainly weren't going to give up at that point in time. And, and uh, I, you know, and just to let you understand it, Terry and I did a, 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 uh, I don't know, I, I mean, we were up on stage and we were talking about that, that game and and uh, the question was asked to me, did you think that you were going to win that game? And and that was the first time I heard it from Terry, but t- Terry sat there on stage and he said, I knew we were going to win that ball game and I thought, wow, <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, I know I didn't. I didn't know what, what was going to happen but Terry, Terry uh, boldly put up there on the stage, I knew we were going to win that ball game and so I uh, I give him a lot of credit for knowing what was going to take place.
1: As you guys head into the dugout for the bottom of the ninth, does anybody say anything? Is there a need for rah rah? I mean, it's different than football and basketball to try to motivate. So, is anything said going into heading into your last AB?
2: Uh, you know, Matt, that's something that I don't remember. I know that they had to rally caps on, and you know, I'm sure that there was a little bit of "Come on, boys, this is it. We can do it right now," and so on and so forth. But. You know, I think the I think the biggest part of it all was, uh, you know, when Terry start let it off in the ninth inning with the double down the right field line. I think that that was the thing that just kind of got a little spark going, uh, put a little bit. You know, Doug Drabeck started to get a little bit of a sphincter. and um, you know, and then and then when Jose Chico Lean made that error at second base, I, I thought to myself, Wow, I mean here we go I mean uh, you know that that doesn't happen with Jose Chico lean I mean six airs all year long and he made his seventh that night and and um the fans started getting into it I mean and it was loud and it was just you know it was just one of those magical moments I mean that you think about
1: so take me through I want to see this through your eyes because you mentioned the lean air, and you start saying after the, the double by Terry okay maybe there is something as you step in for your at bat I mean how do you slow the heart rate down right there how do you deal with that moment
2: <clears throat> that's a good question I mean uh, you know again you're, you're focused I had hit a double already off of Doug that night um, you know he had, he had made me look sick on the first two but I hit a double off of him and I the last time up and I know that that was going through his head a little bit um, you know I, I often say you know Doug was when I, I played in Pittsburgh we were actually godparents to his kids and uh, so I I always say, you know, Matt, that he was out there thinking, I can't let the godparent of my kid win this ball game <laughs> And, uh, you know, so at that point in time, I mean, Doug, he walked me on four straight pitches, never really got close to the plate at all. And, um, you know, and that loaded up the bases with nobody else. I mean, and then it just got even louder. So, I mean, it was, it was just a great, great time at that point. Did you think you are about to get pinch run for there? Should have. I mean, I absolutely should have. I mean, uh, no reason in the world with uh, how slow I was at that point with my knees. Um, I, I should have been pinched pinch run forward. Uh But, you know, when timeout wasn't called, I mean, I did what I was supposed to do and let off the base and was thinking about how I could do whatever I needed to do to win the ballgame. Do you cheat
1: like when you're on a base? In other words, do you try to grab that extra couple of feet. Or are you worried about anybody sneaking in behind you? What happens before um, you know Cabrera hits the base hit? Like where where are you, you know, mentally there, making sure you get enough of a lead just in case?
2: Well, I don't know. I don't know if you remember, Matt. I mean, and and uh, when I hit my double the time before, they literally tried to pick me off twice at second base. Huh, I did not remember uh, that. With with my right knee. You know, being the one that was in the brace. I mean, I I did not have a lot of pushing off, quickness in my right knee, and so I you know I didn't I wasn't able. I I always loved being a very very uh, adventurous. I was you know before my knee injuries, Matt. I mean, I would go first to third with the be- the fastest runners in on my team because I knew how to run the bases. I knew how to get my secondary and so on and so forth. But with my knee the way it was, I had to get a little bit closer at that point in time. But when I got to second base, I mean, at first base, obviously I was just working on my second day. I wasn't going to get off too far. I didn't want Spanky throwing behind me. But uh, when I got to second base, especially with two outs, um, you know, I, I got off. I mean, it, it, I don't know if you remember or, or look at the, the – uh, picture, but the time before when Doug Grabeck was on the mound and they tried to pick me off, I was I was literally in the frame. Even in my secondary, I was in the frame. I mean, with, with Stan Belinda on the mound, I was right at the edge of the TV screen, and as I took my secondary, I was out of the screen. So I was praying and hoping that he was not throwing back there, and I didn't think that he would. So I was getting trying to get every advantage that I could in order to, uh, you know, do what I needed to do in the, in the event that a base hit was was uh, had by Frank Frankie.
1: It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as... The football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner. Knock on wood. And all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find? A craft beer bar, self-serve taps, uh, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, Flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like trivia night, kids' eat free night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it. But that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rhodes Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at Rhodes-Group.com. So he gets the hit, and Sid, do you, like, from the age of five, we're always taught, find your third base coach right there. Like, everything's going a million miles an hour right there. Do you see Jimmy Williams right away? What's going, like, through your mind? What are you seeing right there?
2: Matt never had a clue. I never saw Jimmy one bit. I mean... <laughs> Um, you know, it's, you're, you're always told you always put pressure on a defense. We have two outs. I had the best scenario that I could have. I mean, I, um, in regards to two outs, I didn't have to worry about where the ball was hit. I was off the base. I mean, I, I could go at the crack of the bat and, uh, it was just one of those things. When Frankie hit the ball, my foot was coming down and I was taking off. And uh, and then it was just a matter of how how fast I could be to, in order to get to home plate and and uh, see if I could score. So
1: you do score at that point. I mean, you've been asked this question a million times, but to me, it never gets old. Maybe you know, maybe you're like the guy who doesn't want to play the same note over and over. But that moment, can you explain it to a guy who's never been in that kind of spot? The exhilaration, mm-hmm. the just the feeling of what just happened in that moment.
2: I mean, I think for for me, Matt, it was relief. I mean, I was I was four inches away from being the goat. Bobby was four inches away from being the goat, and uh, you know, even at that, Bobby will say to this day uh, that he had nobody to to play first base. Well, that wasn't true. I mean, he had Brian Hunter that pinched hit that that inning, and he had Francisco Cabrera that could play first base. The big problem was is who was going to play second base because they they pinched hit for Raphael Belliard that was, you know, Mark Lemke was pinched hit before that. And so we had nobody to actually go into second base if if we would have tied that ball game up. So, I mean, he could have put a pitcher out there that literally could have, uh, you know, probably been into the dugout by the time I got to home plate. And, um, you know, but thankfully he didn't. It's
1: funny, I, I, mean, I, asked, uh, I asked Gant about that. Gant said he thought it would be him who would have come in to play second base at that point and he was just trying to remember all the way the cards would have been shuffled but you're right that was the
2: yeah the, the i numbers mean, ronnie game. ronnie would have you know because he did play a little bit of the infield and so on and so forth but uh uh you know it it, it would have been it would have been the, the scorecard would have had to have been marked up quite a bit <laughs> yeah. at that point if, if, if there was a uh, if we did get into a tie
1: um Sid I, I, I could ask you a million questions but I'll, I'll try to put a bow on it uh unfortunately you guys don't win the series against Toronto and then the next year uh it ends against the Phillies McGriff comes in you're the ultimate pros pro like I mean I, you just get this stuff I'm sure but it's still not easy dealing with a injuries B seeing somebody else come in and get that playing time so how difficult was that portion of your Braves career
2: I mean obviously like as you stated Matt, I mean you know to be replaced um, is not an easy thing. I mean normally though you'd be replaced and you would either be sent someplace else or so on and so forth. Well, you know I was you know gonna stay on the on the field or in the dugout and uh, and you know, and I think that 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 because of my faith, I think because of my upbringing with my parents, I mean, and and also my coach at Liberty University, uh, I think that there was a lot of uh, wisdom in uh, understanding that whatever I did, I mean, I was going to give it everything that I had. And um, did it hurt? Yes. But was I going to sit there and pout and, and not give it my best in order to help my team? Absolutely not. I mean, I I wanted to do everything I could in order to help them, and you know, in, in all reality, uh, you know, for myself. Hey, if you can bring in a Fred McGriff uh, to to try to spark a team, and it was it was a, ne- a necessity that year because I mean we were just kind of flat. But um, if you could bring in a, in a Fred McGriff or somebody else, I say, man, what a great move by John Scherholtz, and. Um, you know i think it was a phenomenal move it was just the one that i had to sit there and uh you know suck it up and then but at the same time realize hey my job's not done i mean i can still help this team with pinch hitting or whatever it needs to take place
1: so you uh finished up in houston in 94 and, and then the strike comes along is that um, I guess for a lack of a better way of putting it did you feel like you got closure the way that season just was ripped away and not coming back in 95 or were you okay to deal with that mentally and physically
2: well I, I mean I really think that Houston we would have won in 1994 because we were on a roll uh, at the time that uh, the strike hit and I think that I would have probably had five consecutive national league championships at that point in time with the, with the lineup and everything that we had but um I think for myself, I mean, and 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 my wife kind of shared a little bit with me as well, but 1995, they asked me to go to Japan. Um, You know, I could have, I tried to come back to Pittsburgh, uh, but that, you know, the the slide was too fresh in their minds. I mean, they weren't going to allow me even as a low ticket item to come back and be a part of it. Uh, I don't know if you know, I mean, I hit as a pinch hitter uh, spot starter. I hit 346 that year. Right. With the uh, with the Houston Astros, so I mean, I you know I did a great job of pinch hitting, and uh, so I mean I could I could have gotten on some Matt, but uh, when your eight year old son says, "Dad, it's time for you to be home," uh, you know, it was something that really hit me, and that's why I thought, man, if I could just play at Pittsburgh, that way they didn't have to go anywhere, you know, I could be home during the home games and so on and so forth, but when Pittsburgh said no, then I said, well, it's, it's time for me to be done. But again, with my knees, you know, I wasn't the player that I wanted to be. I mean, I, uh, you know, I couldn't be aggressive. I couldn't, I couldn't charge that pitcher or anybody that was, was, uh, trying to put a bunt down and get a double play. If he made a bad bunt, I couldn't run the bases the way that I was supposed to. My knees were a bother and, um, And so, you know, as much as I wanted to keep playing, it was just one of those things that with my son saying that, it was kind of like, okay, it's time to be done.
1: Yeah. Sid, let's finish up with this, and and this isn't probably the most journalistic way I can ask it, but to play three years in Atlanta and to be as beloved as you were for whether it was just the slide, the moment, the three years here, the turnaround, how cool is that? Three years to be, what, 30 years later and people still speak, the way they do about Sid Bream.
2: Well, I mean, you know, again, it's not about it's not about Sid Bream. It's about it's about you know the Atlanta Braves during those those years. But um, you know, it, it was just for me. It was just just such a great time for my career to be a part of something like that. And I mean, and you know, Matt, as you're talking about, I mean, the neat thing is, 28 years. Uh, you know, right now. Uh, going into that, going into October, and for them to still remember that play, uh, you know, not only there but on a national level, uh, is is just something that uh, has been amazing. I mean, and and then for me, Matt, I mean, it's it just goes to tell me that you know my God has a sense of humor. Um, it tells me that I mean, shoot, he he had me out there in that plate or, on second base. You know, somebody as, as slow as I was that could beat it by four inches, that could be the most exciting play in, you know, one of the top plays in major league baseball to give me a platform to be able to go out and speak. So he, he, he's no dummy. He knows how to get it done. And, uh, he used somebody so, uh, so slow and, and coming from the pirates. I mean, he, he understood all that from the get go. So it's given me a great opportunity to go out and share my faith and, and uh help people and so it's it's been a blessing
1: well it's one of the great indelible moments as you said in baseball but in, in braves history and uh i know braves fans have always just as i said love to talk to you hear your stories and uh, one of the true class gentlemen in the uh, game and said it's a pleasure to catch up with you thanks for making time i hope the family and everybody stays well moving forward
2: matt thank you so much great being with you and and uh you take care and be safe okay thank you sid bye-bye
1: Thanks everybody so much for taking the time to listen to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. Thanks to our producer Matt Lear for his assistance with the program. He's the glue that keeps the operation running. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Atlanta. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming, and parties don't stop till eight in the morning. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day.
2: Big beats hit streets, see gangsters.
0: Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the marketing madmen have answers. Search the marketing madmen on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the marketing madmen every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. consultation.